May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. Uh, during the week, I was at the gym, I go occasionally, and uh, there, was, there was always videos playing and music playing. Uh, the song and the video weren't related. They often have different songs from what the video is. But the video was about uh, set in a school, which a lot of them are actually, uh, in America, and there was a bully going around bullying people, so cutting off a perfect uh, ponytail and pushing over a boy who had his arm in a sling and then stealing a girl, uh, going up to a boy who was with a girl and pushing the girl away and kissing the boy and um, just being nasty. And I was actually trying to read a book about ministry, but I was quite interested on uh, how they were going to finish this video. And in the end, the band came out of the classroom where they were, where they were um, supposedly singing, and they found the girl in the, in the passageway, and they humiliated her. Uh, and left her crying as she had left the people she had been crying uh, behind them as they walked triumphantly off down the hallway. And I thought, well, I guess I'm supposed to cheer because the bully got their comeuppance. But actually, I wasn't really sure that there was much difference between what she had been doing and what they had just done. And I wondered if there was a different way to end that video. Well, this morning we heard the third part of, uh, well, fourth part actually, of Jesus' answer to the Pharisees, the leading Pharisees and the chief priests. And their question that they asked Jesus right back at the beginning, three weeks ago, uh, which was basically, by what authority do you do these things? And these things, well, we're not sure if that refers to what Jesus had just done in the temple the day before when he turned over the money changers' tables and got rid of the people who were selling uh, the sacrifices, the problem being the huge markup that they were charging, uh, or just everything that he'd been doing over the previous three years. By what authority do you do these things? So this is the last part of Jesus' answer, and the, 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 the answer was quite a long one, really. So first of all, because they wouldn't uh, reply to Jesus by whose authority did John baptize, because uh, they really didn't think that John was a prophet, so the authority didn't come from God, but everyone listening to the conversation did, Jesus said, well, I'm not going to tell you by what authority I act. And then he told three stories. So the first story he told was about two sons, one of whom, both of whom were asked to help out on the farm. And the first one says no, but does. And the second one says yes, but doesn't. And Jesus says, well, the first one is like the tax collectors and the prostitutes who kind of don't look like they're doing the right thing, but did respond to John's baptism. And you are like the second son who despite the prostitutes and the tax collectors responding, you didn't. Essentially, he's saying to them, you don't walk the talk. You're all full of talk, you pray the right prayers, you say the right things, but actually, your lives bear no resemblance to what you say you're on about. And then he told a second story. Now, when we read these stories, the temptation is because on a Sunday we hear them one after the other, so we think, oh, well, they're separate stories, and in the Bible, when we read them, they've got nice little 
headings of their own. We think, oh, well, these are, these are three separate, distinct stories. But actually, they're three stories told in a row, each one coming out of the previous one. They are related. So to understand the stories, you have to read what happened beforehand to find out where Jesus got, had got to in that story and what he's trying to say with the second story. So just to make sure that they get the point about what he's just said, which is essentially, you don't walk the talk, he told them a second story about a man who was a landowner, and he bought a plot of land, and he put a vineyard there, and then he leased it out to tenants, and, well, we think that's a nice story, don't we? But as I said last week, the people Jesus is telling this story to are landowners. They have acquired huge amounts of land over the last 50 years or so from the poorer landowners who could no longer afford to pay the Roman tax and the temple tax. And because they'd got into debt, they'd had to sell their land too, while the chief priests and the leading Pharisees and the leading families of Jerusalem. So these people he's talking to are the landowners. And the people who are listening to the story used to be landowners, but at best they are now tenants, sometimes on the land that used to be their land. But now they're just tenants, and at worst they're day labourers, living from day to day, hoping that they will get work so they can actually buy the food they need for that day. So this isn't an academic story. This isn't a nice story in a storybook. This is their lives. This is what happens on a daily basis. So in Jesus' story, when it's time to pay the rent with produce, the landowner sends slaves to collect it, and either because they don't want to or they can't because the, the harvest hasn't been that good that year, uh, they don't pay. And in fact, what they do is they beat up the slaves and stone some of them and kill some of them. Stoning, I thought, usually did result in killing, but in this case it's an intermediary between beating up and being killed. And so the landowner sends some more slaves and the same thing happens. So then he says, I'll send my son. I respect my son. And in an honor shame culture like they live in, that's what should happen. But the son gets killed. And then Jesus says to them, to these landowners, what then will the landowner do when the landowner comes. And they, being landowners, say what they would do. Those wretches will be put to a miserable death and new tenants will be put into the vineyard who will pay the rent. Because that's what they do. When people don't pay the produce, they send a little band of thugs who go in there and forcibly evict the tenants and put new people in. Now, as I said last week, the underlying question in that ending of the story was, by what authority do you do your things? You're landowners, but you're also chief priests and Pharisees. So how would you end that story? Well, we would physically evict those people and put them to death. And he's saying, well, by what authority do you do that? And the answer is, well, that's how the world works. That's how Rome works. That's what would happen to us if we didn't pay our stuff to Rome. 
So where does their authority come from? Rome. Not God. So he's turned the tables on them. And then Jesus says, well, doesn't have to... he talks about there being a building block that has become the cornerstone that will now become the stumbling block that will crush those who do not see that building block as the cornerstone. So he's turned the tables on them. He has asked them by what authority they do their thing. And just to make sure they get the point, he tells a third story. The third story we heard this morning about a wedding banquet. Now, there are two versions of this story, the other one being in Luke. And Luke's version is a lot less dark. There is no army sent off to kill all the people that refuse to come and destroy the city. And the person, one of the people, isn't wearing the wrong wedding gown and isn't bound up and cast into outer darkness. In Luke's story, it's not even a king. It's just somebody who is holding a wedding banquet and invites, says, well, I don't even know if it's a wedding banquet, actually. It's just a big feast. But um, invites everyone, then sends out the notification to say it's ready, and they all have dumb excuses for not coming, which in an honour-shame uh, society uh, would, um, would humiliate the host, but also humiliate themselves. Uh, and so the person throwing the party invites everyone, and everyone comes in. And that links to the Eucharist. But in Matthew's story, it is so much darker. So why is it darker in Matthew's story? Well, because Jesus has just asked these people what they would do with the tenants. And they said, well, we would put those miserable wretches to a horrible death. And so he's included that in his story. So last week I said, well, how else would we finish the story? And most of us struggled with that, didn't we? We really couldn't think of another way to end that story. Sure, probably the miserable death bit we wouldn't want, and we'd probably just put them in prison for the rest of their lives. But effectively, we wanted something to happen to those people. So I want to suggest that actually maybe another ending to that story is that the landowner came and forgave them. Where do I get that crazy idea from? Well... That's what Jesus does. Every time he heals someone, effectively in his world, he is saying, I forgive your sins. Which, by the by, he doesn't have any authority in that world to do. That's something that the priests in the temple do. So we kind of gloss over that. Every time he heals someone, he is saying, I forgive your sins. Do any of those people ever say, I'm sorry for what I've done? No. They say, I want to be healed, or someone else says, I want them to be healed. But at no point does Jesus even ask them to, for- to confess their sins. The forgiveness is freely given. What happens next is up to them. Now, this morning, I nearly switched the confession around, and we will at 930 And uh, I'm going to do the absolution before the confession. Because that's really where it should be. Before the confession. To remind us that actually we are forgiven. 
And we confess because we are forgiven. Not to earn that forgiveness. That forgiveness is already there. That's the point of the story. That's all through the Gospels. It's all through Paul's writing. And we say it week after week in our liturgies. God loves us first. God forgives us first. Out of that forgiveness, out of that love, we respond. Not to earn the forgiveness, not to earn the love, but to respond. So what would the wedding story then look like if that's what the chief priests and the leading Pharisees had said? Well, I think the wedding story would have been a story about how Jesus, about how the king just invited everyone. Everyone was invited and everyone came because they responded to that invitation, that generosity. How does that make us feel though? Well, if we go back to that music video, actually most of the time we like people to be punished. We like the fact that the bully got their comeuppance. We struggle with any other ending to that story because really those tenants were, despite all the provocation, did bad things and they should be punished. Deep down, that's what we want to happen. And that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Like, at some level we're happy that we're forgiven first, but at another level, but... Should those people over there be forgiven first? Like, they're quite bad people. Something, something should happen to them. They should be punished. But Jesus and Paul are really clear that we're all the same and equally undeserving of God's forgiveness and equally given God's forgiveness nonetheless. It's a hard thing, the gospel. And most of the time, we kind of skate around the edges. But with this story, Jesus forces us to confront that. How we end the story is important. It shows up all our theology and all our prejudices. How happy are we that actually... The right ending of that story is the landowner comes and forgives them. And what happens next is entirely up to them. Entirely. Let's just sit with that for a moment and think about how we sit with that ending and what that says about us.